Hey, this is JJ Reddick with the Vertical Podcast. We have a great show for you this week. We'll be joined by Spencer Hawes and Toronto Raptor Kyle Lowry. Let's do it. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick, powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, JJ Reddick. Welcome back to the Vertical Podcast. This is going to be a great episode this week. We'll be joined later by Toronto Raptor All-Star Kyle Lowry. He gives a very candid and revealing interview, and we talk about skinny Kyle Lowry. Right now, we're going to be joined by Spencer Hawes. Spencer was a teammate of mine last year, and he's currently with the Charlotte Hornets. Spencer, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, buddy. No problem, man. So big news out of the NBA this week was the trade deadline, and it was sort of anti climatic. I, I know on Thursday for me, I was on my Twitter timeline, like refreshing every 30 seconds and nothing came up, nothing came up, nothing came up. There was a few deals that went down, you know, right at the deadline. But were you on your Twitter feed like I was, like most NBA players are? I think I, I do a pretty healthy rotation between Twitter and Hoops Hype and I just kind of go back yeah. and forth and refresh and refresh and refresh. And yeah, especially all morning. I mean, it's, it's a little different, I think, you know, like when you're in the situation that you get, you have a pretty good feel whether you're really right. on the block or you're not. So it is it's a, it is a little more stressful when you know you're on the block, but it's, it is, you know, that's a consuming day for, for the Twitter feed. I think it's a, that's for certain. I think it's a consuming day. I think the other one is like the first few days of free agency. Yeah. Um, those, I probably spend, months. yeah, I probably spend more time on Twitter during those two days. And it's not like I'm actually participating in social media. Straight off I'm just kind of using Right. I'm just kind of using it. And uh, shameless plug here, I'm just kind of waiting for a Woj bomb. Um, that's how you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, that's how you know it's real. If Woj real. tweets it, it, it's real. Then it's on. <laughs> no question. So we made a trade. We traded Lance for Jeff Green. You know, Lance was actually, he was a great teammate. Pleasure to be around. You know, I, I wish him the best in Memphis, and I hope things work out for him. He, he definitely has a lot of talent. And he's proven he can be a high-level player in this league, and and I, I want to see him get back to that. Without talking any more about our team, I, I want to kind of get your thoughts about the trade deadline, your experiences. A few years ago, you were coming up on free agency. You were with the Sixers. They were part of a, you know, their first year in their rebuild, and uh, a number of you guys got moved that season. What was your deadline experience? You were traded. On the day of yeah. the deadline uh, to, to Cleveland, so it, did, it didn't get all the way up to the to the buzzer, but yeah, traded to Cleveland. And I mean, I think like we talked about earlier, you you know the situations if you're an expiring contract and, and the situation with your team. So I had a pretty good idea that I was going to get moved. Obviously, you never know where, but you hear the rumors and you you know you talk to everybody and you have a, a pretty good pulse on you know which ones have traction and. And so the whole time, I mean, it's, it's a stressful experience, you know, especially stressful. when you've been in a place a while like I had in Philadelphia, you know, and you're hearing the rumors, you're going back and forth, you're getting ready to go to practice, but you know you're not supposed to practice, and it's kind of awkward with everybody there, and I was lucky that I didn't have to wait around all day. I got up, made some coffee, and was getting ready to go drive to practice, and kind of the whole time leading up, the, you hear different teams, and you know, San Antonio was the one that I'd, I'd been hearing and got ready to get in my car, and, and uh, our agent called me and 
said, hey, I got news, you're going to Cleveland. And I, you know, you kind of stop. And, and as is often the case, the place that you end up is, is the place that you never heard about. So, you know, it kind of, it's nice to have that finality when you know. And then after that, it's kind of a blur. I don't know how it is for all guys. For me, I was, I kind of packed everything that I needed for the foreseeable future that went home that day and was on a plane that night to Toronto. And the next, next night I was playing in a new uniform with a bunch of guys that, you know, you, you weren't very familiar with. So it's definitely a situation that you don't want to find yourself in too often. Right. There's a huge difference between getting traded in June or July, as opposed to in the middle of the season, you know, a lot of us rent wherever we play. And so, you know, you have, you have a property you have to worry about. You have a lease that you have to figure out how to either get out of or figure out how to pay. You know, there's things you have to pack on the fly. Uh, you know, I didn't have a, a son when I got traded, but certainly, you know, your family is affected. My wife, uh, when I was traded from Orlando to Milwaukee, I believe she was at a boxing class with three or four of her friends when I called her and said, hey, you know, we just got traded. So there's, you know, peripheral stuff that has to happen. And, it's difficult, I think, to make that adjustment of joining a team in the middle of the season. They're, they're already kind of a flow to how the locker room works and how the rotation works. And to kind of jump right in, it's tough. What was that experience like in Cleveland for you? I think I mean, I, 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 think I was lucky going to that situation because of the group of guys that were, that were there in, in place. I had relationships with some of them prior to that. And and I think those guys really embraced me right away and it made it a lot easier than I'd expected or than, like you said, that you hear about when you do make a transition like that. So it is tough, though, when you kind of, you know, like I said, I was on a plane that night. I was in, uh, in Toronto. You know, you kind of wake up. You're trying to, you know, you're getting all these text messages, all these phone calls from different people, and then you go get on the bus the next morning and you're kind of introducing yourself to, you know, have everybody that's in the travel party and you know most of the players, but everybody else is, you know, you have to strike up a new relationship with them and 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 you kind of go on your way and there's no real handbook to it. I mean, I think you try and pick guys' brains that have been through it before. You know, you don't want to step on anybody's toes, but you want to kind of assert yourself at the same time and it's something that you, you kind of just got to pick it up on the fly and do the best you can to to find that fine line between you know, coming in and and trying to you know assert yourself and and help the team improve in the ways that you can, but also not messing with that balance with that medium that, that teams have at that point in the season. Because the trade deadline is basically you know, you're past the halfway point. So, like you said, right. teams are ingrained. Guys, you know, guys have their rotations and guys have their you know their relationships, and and you you definitely don't want to be don't want to overstep your bounds initially. Yeah, you're you're a social butterfly, so. I'm assuming going to a locker room for you is a, probably a little bit easier than going to a new locker room for a guy like me. I'm a little more introverted than you are. I want to share, you know, my story uh, of when I was traded and leading up to the deadline, my name was circulating similar to you. I was on an expiring contract and this was at a time when the cap wasn't jumping 20 million like this year. So <laughs> expirings meant a little bit more yeah, uh, three years value. ago than they do, than they do now. Um, so I, I had the sense that I, I might be traded, but my hope was to stay in Orlando and we were in Dallas on the second night of a back-to-back on Wednesday night. Thursday was the trade deadline. So we actually stayed over in Dallas and I think partially it was so that they could kind of you know, figure out 
where guys are going and all that stuff. And, and we were supposed to have a, a bus to the airport at noon. That got pushed back to 1. And so I was sitting at about 12.30 Central Time, which is about 1.30 Eastern Time. The deadline's at 3. I was sitting in my hotel room getting ready to leave. I'm all packed up. And Arn, who who was both of our agents for a long time, Arn called me and, and said, hey, man, you're safe. You know, there's no deal. Uh, it looks like, you know, Milwaukee is not going to do it. San Antonio, you mentioned San Antonio. San Antonio was the other team that was kind of the last teams trying to make a trade for me. San Antonio is out. Um, so you're safe. So I, honestly, there was a huge sigh of relief. And then we get on the bus, we drive to the airport, the people start getting off the bus. And I realized, as you know, when there's two buses, there's the media and support staff on one bus and the players and the coaches on the other. Who, who always gets off first? The players, right? Well, in this case, the media and the support staff, they got on the plane first. And I thought that was a little odd. And then all of a sudden I got a phone call from Arn. Hey, we got action. There looks like there's something maybe going on uh, with Milwaukee. And so we kind of, as we're exiting the bus, Jacques Vaughn is, is handpicking guys one by one. And it was me, Ish Smith, Gustavo Ayon, and Josh McRoberts. We were all traded that day. And we kind of just sat there on the bus. The whole team, everybody else in the organization is on the plane. Yeah. We sat there for 30 minutes. At 2.59 Eastern Standard Time, I got a call from Rob Hennigan. Hey, man, just want to let you know you've been traded and the two things he said to me that really stood out, one, he said, he said, it's not personal. And I said, well, it is personal because it's my life. Yeah, and number two, exactly he said, I just wanted to, I just wanted to keep you in the loop. And I mean, listen, Rob did for most of the season, keep me in the loop, but at two fifty nine PM, I don't know that I was really in the loop. And, and so, you know, for me, I'd spent seven years there and I actually said to them, like, I'm getting on that plane. Cause I have to go, you know, I have to go say goodbye to these people that I've, you know, spent the majority of my adult life with. So that was a very emotional process. And, and then you kind of mentioned like going to a new locker room and it's just, it's overwhelming at times. And it was very tough. I think overwhelming is a great word to describe it because you have so many emotions on one end. If, if you've been in a place a while and you have those connections and it comes so quickly, that finality, and then you go to the next place and, and you're supposed to, it's like, you kind of have to try and check all that, at the door when it happens, kind of compartmentalize it and, and then come back to it later because you really are. I mean, I don't know when you played your first game, but like I said, for me, it was the next day. It and, was the next day for me too. The ball's yeah. rolling. There's no, there's no training camp. There's no getting to know guy. You know, there's no preseason. You're, you're in the mix, so you don't really have time to kind of deal with all, all the other stuff. Not to mention the logistics and, and everything that comes along with that. Right. We mentioned the logistics, and, and they're obviously tough. You know, I, I think. If I ever was traded at the deadline again, you know, I, I think it'd be even tougher now with Knox here and and uh, and dealing with that adjustment with the family and trying to figure that out. But I, I think there's got to be a way, like, to just kind of figure out how to make it about basketball because, you know, that's that's our job. And I don't think I did a great job of that in Milwaukee because it was such an adjustment, and it honestly it was a shock to my system. And and you kind of said, yeah, I expected it. And I but thought still, it was going to happen, but, but still, it's still a shock to your system. Yeah. yeah. And the other word you used was the finality of it. It's like, oh my God, no, like I'm leaving my home in the middle of the season. I've been here, you know, for me, it was seven years in Orlando. I've been here seven years. I'm, I'm, I'm literally leaving and going to some place that I've, I've never spent more than, you know, 24 hours in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming you've never vacationed in Cleveland in the off season, right? Uh, no, I have not. Uh, I have not done that, but 
what was your experience like logistically we talked about that i think that's kind of interesting caveat to it like for yeah. me I, I i talked about packing i came home and, and i'm lucky i'm i'm not married i don't have any kids that i'm uprooting and, and moving around when i got traded so uh, for me i went home like i said i packed i threw i'd never been through it before i didn't know how how to really get up and go like that so i just i took everything that i thought i needed for the rest of the season threw it on my bed clothes you know whatever i thought i would need in cleveland where i ended up living in a hotel for two months and that was it that's the last time i've ever seen that apartment I, you know <laughs> I, I was lucky that my mom came out yeah. and she helped me and, and she packed up the clothes put it in the car and, and that was you know that was the last i've ever seen of my apartment in philadelphia that i lived for for four years so it, it is that kind of stuff, I don't think you ever get used to. Yeah. Even if, you know, if you've been through it before, that's not yeah. it's not how you want to go about doing things. But it is it is the business we're in, and, and it's one of the things that you know we we live a great life. We're very blessed, but that's one of the things that right. that one of the downsides. There, yeah, there's no real way to prepare for that. I mean, we're, we were on a two game road trip to Dallas and Memphis, and. Uh, you know, we had that day in between where the trade deadline was and Milwaukee wanted me to come right to Milwaukee. And I said, listen, I don't have any clothes. I don't even have a winter coat. So let me go home. So I went back to Orlando that night. I packed. I got home at like 1 a.m. from Dallas. I packed up, you know, but like you said, two weeks worth of clothing. You know, I, I grabbed as many winter coats as I, I think I own. Not that I owned a ton in, in Orlando, but I did have some for when we would travel during the season. And Chelsea stayed back. Uh, for a little bit of time because we were going on the road pretty much right away. We were actually going right back to Dallas, you know, with the Bucks, and then she got up there. And like you said, you live in a hotel. The team puts you up in a hotel for I, I think it's in the CBA. I think it's like a month or something. They you know legally have to put you in a hotel. And within a day of Chelsea being in a hotel with me, it was not a suite either. It was just a just a normal like yeah. you know tiny hotel room and we were just like we got to find temporary housing because this is just not going to work it's not a place of peace you no. know to go through that adjustment so we we actually found a short-term rental right across the street from the arena in milwaukee and like you i never actually set foot in that apartment again I, after i packed my stuff up yeah. that was the last time i was ever in that apartment i lived there for four years i was in that apartment for four years chelsea and i you know moved in there right after we got married and it, you know, it it was certainly bittersweet. Anytime I go back to Orlando, I, I head over to Park Avenue, and and our apartment building was right off Park Avenue, and I just kind of walk by and reminisce. I don't necessarily do that about the building in in Milwaukee, but whatever. <laughs> no, it, it's it's, a, uh, it's it is a weird experience, but it's it's all part of the journey. Yeah, I think the interesting thing too is like you know this doesn't maybe get talked about a ton, but you know in both of our cases, we essentially were two month rentals, and you know for me. I left Milwaukee two days after we lost game four of the first round of Miami. Um, that was on May 1st. I left Milwaukee and went down to Austin for the off season and, and literally never heard from Milwaukee again. Um, you know, they didn't contact me to tell me they weren't going to pursue me in free agency. They didn't send me a text to say, Hey, thanks for your time here. It just, I never literally never heard from them again. And I don't know what that experience is like for you, but there was a certain level of frustration. Like, Hey man, like, I could have just stayed in, in Orlando yeah, for two more months and, and then become a – yeah, well, exactly. What's the point? W when you finished in Cleveland, was there any sort of back and forth like, hey, we want to re-sign you? What, what, uh, there, what happened there? There was, and I think that was my intention when I left there, I think, was obviously you have a lot of benefits as a player when the, when the team has your bird rights going back to the team that, that you played for previously. So that was my intention. And then 
the thing that kind of threw it off when I was a free agent, it was two years ago, and it was that was the summer LeBron was up before he inevitably went back to Cleveland. So for me, everything was kind of on hold with them because they needed that. Right. Myself and Lou Aldang as well were the guys that were expiring, and he also got traded there midseason, and we were the, you know, we had the cap holds and, and trying to figure out, okay, you know, they had to create the space for LeBron, and so you're kind of in limbo in terms of when you look at going back to your old team, and inevitably, obviously, he went back there, and and I uh, signed in in L.A., and it is kind of weird, though, when you look back at it and say, well, I was really there less than two months. It's like, like you're kind of like a mercenary, in a sense. Yeah, a hired gun for a very short period of time, and I think the trend now is teams don't really want to have rentals. And and you saw that at this trade deadline. I think there were some big names that potentially would have been moved had the team that was trading for them gotten the assurance that they would re-sign there. What you mentioned earlier about the salary cap, the, the expiring contracts not having that same value coming off the books, right. I think is is big part of playing into that trend. For sure. Spencer, I really appreciate the insight on getting traded midseason. You will be joining us a little later in the show after we talk to Kyle for this week's four-on-four and this week's four and four, because of what's going on this coming weekend, will be Oscar themed. All right. I'll talk to you in a little bit. All right. One of the challenges that I have as an NBA player is ticket requests. Now, for road games, I get two tickets. For home games, I get four. Generally speaking, that goes to very close friends and my family, but it doesn't mean I don't get hit up constantly for tickets. And one of the things I tell people all the time, Go to SeatGeek. I only have two tickets. So whether you're looking to buy tickets to an event or sell tickets you can't use, you need to check out SeatGeek. It's the smartest way to buy and sell tickets for concerts and your favorite teams. SeatGeek pulls all the ticket buying and selling options from other ticket sites into one place to save you time. SeatGeek also knows the fair market value of every ticket, and they use that info to show you the best deals and help you find underpriced seats. And if you have tickets you can't use, SeatGeek will help you price your tickets on their site so that you can quickly sell them to another fan. SeatGeek also has the lowest fees of any ticket site out there and always shows you the full price up front. And here's an amazing deal. My listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. Now, here's how to get your $20 rebate on tickets. Download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter promo code JJ. SeatGeek will send you $20 once you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. All right, and we're back. We're joined now by Toronto Raptor Kyle Lowry. Kyle, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. I asked you to come on the show. (laughs) You are the second NBA player to ask me to come on the podcast. It's so funny because last weekend we were trying to connect All-Star Weekend and obviously we both had a ton of stuff going on. You probably more than me because you were an actual All-Star and you were a host player. But uh, you actually reached out to Woj and said, hey man, I want to come on the show. Why did you want to come on the show, man? (laughs) I think it's such an unbelievable thing what you're doing. I think you'll be able to get more NBA players because of who you are as an NBA player, you know, what you're doing. It's, it's like you're, we're not talking to a personality. We're talking to an actual player. So we can go back and forth and talk actual NBA stuff, and you can understand where I'm coming from. I can understand where you're coming from. And I think you'll be able to get – seriously, I think you'll 
whoever you want to get on the show, they'll come on the show without even a second thought. I mean, it's just it's incredible. I, I, when I heard you were doing it, I was like, I got to get on his show. Well, it's going to be fun, man. We're going we're gonna to have a lot of fun today. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about All-Star Weekend. Yeah. This was your second All-Star game. I believe both years you got voted in by the fans, correct? Yep, both years. Okay, that's tremendous. So how is this experience different, uh, having it in your hometown, your adopted hometown of Toronto, and, and kind of being a host? Were you busier than you expected? Was it the same as New York last year? No, not a chance. It was, it was a lot more calmer than New York last year. Last year in New York, I think when you first do All-Star, you try to do everything. You want to get everybody, make everyone happy. You want to fit everyone in your schedule and, and go here, here, there, there. And, and New York was such a, it was so spread out and the traffic was bad. So this year, I, I just said, look, I'm not going to do anything that I don't need to do. I'm going to do things to show my face and, and support the city of Toronto. Plus, everything was in driving distance, walking distance for me. And, and I know all the back roads. Um, what was really cool, though, is I was able to actually have a sit-down meal in my own house in my own right. bed. <laughs> Seriously, last year I don't think I think I I don't think I had a sit-down meal at all the whole last last year um, All-Star Weekend. But this year I was able to sit down and have dinner and, and breakfast with my family, my wife, my kids. Um, and last year it was just like, all right, we got to go this and we got to do this and we got to do that. I think last year if it's seventy-two week, uh, hours in a week, and I probably spent like ten of them in my hotel room. Uh, this year I, I really just. I calmed everything down, but it, it was fun. I was able to move, maneuver how I wanted to maneuver and be where I wanted to be. And, and then just the, the fact that it was in our home. And like I said, if I wanted to have a change of clothes, I can literally go in my house, get some underwear, undershirt, and put it on and just go. <laughs> <laughs> I get it, man. I'm, I'm the same way. We, My wife and I went to New York last year, and, uh, I mean, it was madness. Uh, you yeah. kind of brought up the difficulty of, of moving around a city like New York, having multiple uh, venues hosting the uh, the weekend. Toronto was a great city in the sense that there wasn't a ton of traffic. Everything was within 15 to 20 minutes, even yeah. our NBA Cares events that we did throughout the city. Everything was very localized. So it was, a, it was an easy city to move around. The weather, though, um, oh. in February <laughs> in Toronto is terrible. And so... I, I keep thinking to myself, like, why does the NBA not just have like a rotation of LA, Phoenix, Orlando, my you like do you think Texas, that the All Star Week teams, Yeah, uh, one of the you say, you say Houston, San Antonio like do you think All Star Weekend should only be in warm weather cities? Because the last <laughs> two years you can't really go outside. <laughs> Listen, it was it was horrible this week. I, I've never honestly I've been here four years and I've never been that cold ever here. And I'm and that's a no nonsense. That's serious. I, I'm I'm not mad at you now, you know, that we had our one in Toronto. Hey, let's go back west. Let's <laughs> let's right, stay right, west. Right. Let's stay out there. I don't care about the travel. We had one in Toronto. I'm excited. I'm happy we did that. All right, I'm I'm down with that. Let's let's stay L.A., Phoenix, Texas teams. Uh, it doesn't matter, man. It, it was so cold. We could stay in California at all. I, I, it was just really brutal. In the last two All Stars, I mean, uh, that was bad. But uh, yeah, let, I'm, I agree with you on that with JJ. Let, I'm, I'm a away. proponent. I'm a, I am yeah. I am a proponent. Let warm weather cities. Let's, let's do it. Do it. Let's Why not? Let's, and next let's, let's next year is in Charlotte. It's another third straight year Eastern Conference team. 2018. I'm lobbying Adam Silver right now. Let's we need to get that All Star game in Los Angeles. Let's, let's get, get that it. Petition going. Uh, I'll be <laughs> me. You first two signing on that for right. sure. <laughs> I love it. All right. So so this was your second All Star, as I said earlier. Both with the Raptors. Both the last yeah. two years. You know, it's it's kind of rare that 
someone in their ninth and tenth season would be voted yeah. in by the fans as your first time being in the All Star game. Are, are you surprised at all with the success that you have? you've had in Toronto did you feel like maybe in, in earlier in your career Memphis Houston that you were underachieving or did you feel like I just got to get to the right situation uh, I felt like you know I, I was always put in that situation where people looked at me as a uh, as a really good backup and oh he can start and hold it you know he can hold it down for a little bit and um in Houston I got a chance to start and show my skills and and get better and grow and then you know I got traded but then once I got to Toronto it wasn't it wasn't as like a an easy road as people might think it was. You know, before I, I was, I came in, started, and then, you know, I, I stopped starting. Jose was starting for a while, and mm-hmm. then you know that we made the trade for Rudy, and you know I got back in the starting lineup, and then you know kind of things got better and got better and got better. I think it's just you know the testament of the the work I put in. I never satisfied. I never settled for okay. I'm a backup. I'm just going to be happy with being a backup. I always felt like I could be a starter, and I felt like I can do things to help a team win, and, and I felt like I can lead a team. And, you know, I think I was given the opportunity, you know, Brian Colangelo got me here, and then Masai signed me back. So uh, I think I was given the opportunity to be uh, a leader and to say, okay, listen, let me see what you can do. You know, you always ask for this opportunity. Here are the keys. And uh, I took him and, and ran with him. And, you know, I had a, a DeMar, you know, he was still younger and trying to figure it out also, but once I got the keys and, and I seen that I needed some help and we both felt that we, we could be good together, we kind of just shared the keys. And, and now, um, 9 and 10, yeah, it's crazy to be in a league this long and to now becoming a, you know, a starter in the NBA All-Star game. It's, it's, it's weird. It doesn't surprise me because of how much work I put in, but it is kind of like, yeah. okay, yes, yeah, it took a long time, but now you right. got to maintain it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, it's certainly a testament to the level of, of work you put in. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about skinny Kyle Lowry. Yeah, um, that, that, but, we're, we're blaming yeah, it all on you. I, all I know, the, I know. The JJ Reddick. <laughs> I know. But you, you, the other thing you kind of mentioned was just the opportunity. And, and earlier in my career in Orlando, you know, there were games that I started and I felt like I could be a yeah. starter, but I wasn't the starter. You know, I was, I was a backup. And listen, I enjoyed my time in Orlando, but certainly when I was a free agent, you know, three years ago, that was pretty important to me. I wanted to kind of prove to myself more so than anything else that, that I could be a starter in this league. And, um, you know, sometimes for guys like you and me, it, it takes a little bit longer to get in the right situation where you can kind of, as you said, have the keys handed to you. Although I, I think Chris Paul and our team has the keys, you know (laughs) what I mean? I'm just, I'm just, I'm like the, I'm a passenger in the, in the back seat. I got the middle seat in the back. Uh, you know what? You know what? No, no, no. I'm be honest. You start off games. You're driving the game. You're driving the car to start the games off. The first okay, quarter, you're, right, you, you, you're driving. Yeah, you know, there's no question. First and third. First and third. First and third. We know who's driving that vehicle. You know, Chris got the keys, but he he gave you the spare key. It's the it's student loan uh, car. Um, that, I think, like there you, you said, go. We both have. You know, it's it's been great for both of us to have the setbacks or not setbacks but the the careers that we've had because we actually enjoy it more you you kind of oh no question you feel like man i've been through the trials the tribulations oh jj can't dribble or oh kyle can't shoot you know it's kind of like now you put the ball down on the ground it's a layup you could do what you want i can shoot the ball it's just one of those things where we both now we have the appreciation for the work that we put in and we appreciate mm-hmm. it's 10 years for both of us. I mean, it's yep. pretty incredible to say we both played 10 years. We're, we're maxed out on the pension, which is pretty good. Um, <laughs> <Yeah. every day. laughs> and uh, it's it just, it's just 
an opportunity that we've both been given to to take advantage of, and we both have. Yeah, it's so funny. You mentioned just appreciation. I mean, I'm being serious when I say this. I get introduced in the starting lineup here in Los Angeles, and and the same thought every game, and it's not a conscious thing I'm doing. It just pops into my head. I'm literally thinking to myself, hey, man, how awesome is this? Like, how grateful should you be that you're in your 10th year and you're starting for a playoff team? I, I Look, man, I, I'm, I'm so grateful for this no, opportunity. It, it, sounds it, like you, you, you appreciate it too, and, and it's – it's part of the story. It's part of the journey. Listen, when you're in the league, you're, you're obviously at a very high level and you're on a mountain for sure, but there's other yeah. mountains that you can climb and, and, and you've climbed some, some pretty incredible mountains so far. You brought up the trade earlier and, and kind of fitting in, you know, you guys traded for Rudy and then you, then you yeah. traded Rudy and, but there was a trade that didn't happen and <laughs> I've gotten, I've gotten, I've actually gotten word from one of my teammates who was having lunch, I guess, with your agent. You guys had the same agent, and he's yeah. and his agent said, "Hey, the trade's done. Kyle's going yeah. to the Knicks." Yeah. Um, like, did you think that trade was done? And looking back, was it the best thing that ever happened that the trade didn't happen? Ah, uh, man. You know what? When I tell you the trade was done, literally, it was it was for a week straight. I was sitting. I was. You uh, we all read hoops like. So I'm reading hoops like right. every day, every day. And then I'm, I'm speaking to my agent every day. They're like, the deal is done. They're just changing a person, player here and there. They're trying to add a pick, this, that. So honestly, the day my agent called me, it was like in the afternoon. It was like mm, 2.30. Like, look, deal's done. Start packing. You know, you're going to New York. I was like, all right, we had our plan ready. I was going to go to New York, sign a one-year deal, and, you know, play it out, whatever, and have another year, on, you know, with the Knicks. I packed the bag. I had two big duffel bags ready to go. I'm literally sitting on my couch. My my wife was home and my kid, they were in Philly because I said, look, don't come back. Honestly, we had a road trip and then I, we came back. I was like, look, baby, just stay home. Uh, <laughs> once I get traded to New York, you'll come to New York. I'm sitting in my house by myself, literally looking at my cell phone, just waiting for the call back. I sat on my couch for about four hours, five hours. Nothing. Jeez. No call, no nothing. I had two duffel bags waiting by the door. Like, all right, my fight's at this time. I'm ready to go. Nothing happens. I call my agent. It was about 8 p.m. He's like, uh, I don't know. I, they said trades off. I said, what? Trades off? I'm excited to go. I'm like, all right, new start, fresh start. Cool. Didn't happen. And, and now I look back on it. Things work out for a reason. Things happen for a reason. I'm, I'm in Toronto, two-time starting all-star. Right. Um, our team's in second place right now in the East. You know, we're just we're getting better every year. It, it, I think I look back on it and say uh, things happen for a reason. I'm, I'm glad that I didn't get traded to New York. You know, it would have been great to go and, and to experience, but it didn't happen. You know, not my fault. Whoever fault it was, no name. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah, name. right. <laughs> things happen. Uh, I'm I'm excited to be able to have the opportunity to have stayed in Toronto and like you said, like things work out and. Yeah, so I'm glad the trade didn't happen because I'm 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 in a point in my career where I'm on a winning team. I'm happy. I lead I lead a, a group of guys I enjoy playing with, and you never know what could have happened if I went to New York. It, things could have been great. Things could have right. been bad. But it, you it could be playing in the triangle right now as a point guard and never go, getting pick and rolls. I'll probably never get a pick and roll. I get some spot up jump shots. I know. Mello no, might I'm, I'm just ball. kidding. I don't. I don't Mello. mean to bash the triangle. The triangle's great. No, no, the triangle's great. Yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> unless you're a point guard. Yeah, that's your point. I mean, Mello might have gave me ISO here and there, but yeah, I, right. Not it. Right, right. You know, it's it's funny. It's it, you said fresh start, and it's like 
yeah, sometimes as a player, you're like, oh man, like a fresh start would be nice, but the grass isn't always greener on the other side. We've seen it man. time and time again with guys who, you know, ask for a trade, they go somewhere else. It doesn't quite pan out. You know, you bring up, it's kind of like the, uh, the, the old country song, like about unanswered prayers. And I can remember my second year in the league, I was, uh, first year with Stan and was not playing at all. And there was right. a few weeks there in January where I, I, I really, you know, was, was hoping that I would get traded um, just to get a fresh start or whatever. Right. And, and looking back, it was the best thing uh, that ever happened to me that I wasn't traded because I got right. to play for Stan for five years. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be the player I am today if it wasn't for having that experience with him. Not only that, my second year was awful. At the beginning of my third year, I started dating my wife, Chelsea. And had I been traded, she was in grad school at UCF in Orlando. Had I been traded, I never would have dated her. I never would have married her. I wouldn't have my little son, Knox. Sometimes you just got to trust in the guy upstairs that he knows what he's doing. You know what I mean? Oh, man, I agree with that. It's just like if I would have never – if I would have said I was going to go to Arkansas, I probably would have never stayed with my my girlfriend who's my wife now. I would have never done the things and have two beautiful kids. And like you said, you you have your your son now. It's like things just happen to work out, and it's it's incredible. You just got to trust and and have faith in the the, the movement and the situation and, and the guy upstairs, like you said. Right. I think it's challenging sometimes, you know, especially during the season. There's a tendency to get really high after good things happen and really low when things aren't so good. And so yeah. the challenge is to kind of just, hey, you know, it's a process. I got to I got to maintain an even keel. I got to maintain, le- you know, level headedness or whatever. Let's move on to skinny Kyle Lowry. <laughs> the, the, the best topic of this so, that might have yeah. been the most exciting topic of the year this year. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny how things go viral on the internet. So last summer, you were working out in Vegas. Is that correct? Yep, yep. Okay, so you're working out in Vegas. There's a group of you guys. I'm friends with Kylo Quinn, who I played with for about half a season in Orlando. He's now with the New York Knicks. And Kyle, I follow him on Instagram. And yep. he posted a picture, a group photo of you guys after finishing a track workout. <laughs> And I'm a looking mount, at the photo. Yeah, mountain run. Okay, mountain run. I knew it was a run. So I'm looking at the photo, and I'm like, "Oh, there's you know, there's this guy in that. There's some NBA, whatever. And then there's this really, really skinny six foot guy. And I'm like, that that kind of looks like Kyle Lowry. Is that Kyle Lowry? So I asked Kyle, and like people like, and I don't even think Kyle Quinn has a ton of Instagram followers, but this got picked up. It went viral, and yeah. and now people are like, oh, you know, Kyle Lowry is skinny. <laughs> All right, I got to ask you. You signed a four-year contract the offseason yep. before. Yep. You were an all-star last year. Yep. Well, like, what is the motivation here? Like, you know, you've, you, you're on a long-term deal. Most guys, you know, they're going to wait maybe to their contract year. I don't know. But <laughs> is it, was it that you were getting older? Was it you wanted more? Did you feel like you were, you were breaking down as the season progressed? I, I honestly, man, when that that picture and you know you whatever you you really started this thing, so I, <laughs> I, I congratulate that. I thank you rather. I thank you yeah, for all the yeah. attention. I wanted to, I because, wanted to get the awareness out. Like yeah, Kyle is skinny. It. You did it, <laughs> and, and it was funny because that was the first picture I've taken all summer. Like I, you know, I wow. kind of avoided everyone. Wow. No one, no one yeah. has seen me. No pictures. No mm-hmm. media. I, I didn't travel much. I kind of just stayed in the gym. So only people that knew what I looked like was the people in the gym with me every day. So no one could really know. And then once he put the picture up, I kind of just was like, all right, whatever. I didn't want people to see it until camp, but I knew it would get out. Um, 
the motivation is is never be satisfied with, with what you have. You can mm-hmm. always get better. You can always mm-hmm. find things to get better. And I and I always just, you know listen to commentators and I listen to the older vets I've had in my career. And it's always like the older you get, the lighter you have to become. Um, the the older you get, you get, the more you got to look and take care of your body. And and I also knew like you know last the season before we got killed in the playoffs. I, I was not myself. I didn't play right. well. You know, I've always had these knickknack injuries, you know, and then random things happen. I, I just didn't want that anymore. I wanted to make sure that I was able to be counted on mm-hmm. from, uh, I guess, October 1 to the last day of the season. And that was one of the goals, and, and that's always my goal is to be able to be counted on. I want my organization, I want my teammates, I want my coaches, I want my family, I want everyone to be able to count on me and say, he's going to be there no matter what happens no matter what's going on you're going to be able to count on him and for right. me it was, it's, it's not about this or that it's about being great what do you need to do to make sure that you're the you could be great at all times not just oh he was great for half a year and then right what happens you want to right. be great and i know I, I know most people have the motivation and to to be great but i really take pride in that I really take pride in trying to be, not even trying to be. I, I don't even like saying trying. I like to say I'm going to be great because that's what it is. You want to be great. You don't want to just go out there and be like, oh, yeah, he signed four years and right. this and that. Oh, he he gained 20 pounds. His game's dropped off. No, why not Why not get four years and then opt out and, and try to get another deal or do this and get better? Just keep getting better until you can't get better anymore. Steve Nash was right. good until 38. I mean, he just happened to yeah. have some well, I had him on last week, and we talked a lot about that. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a little philosophy, and I've, I've mentioned this philosophy before, but, you know, the philosophy that I've kind of used in my life as an adult, like, is is you've never arrived, you're always becoming. And so, right. you know, the, just the essence of that is is it doesn't matter what you've done. Like, there's no, there's no reason to kind of reminisce or relax on what you've accomplished in the past, whether it was yesterday or five years ago. Um, right. because there's always more. And, and so like, you know, there's this idea like oh, I've made the league, I've arrived or I, I made an all-star game. I've arrived, but there's always more. And the great yeah. ones, the Kobe's of the world, they understand that they understand there's, there's something more like, how can you have arrived if you're still going somewhere? I, right. I, I, and, I, I still feel like I have places to go. It sounds like you do too. I mean, it's, I, I just, I don't like, I don't like the guys who, Oh man, I'm just gonna chill for the next two years because I signed a new deal. It's just it drives me crazy. There's yeah, a personal yeah. standard that you should have as an NBA player, and you should hold yourself accountable first. Man, I, it's crazy because I always say when people, you know, I have I have younger friends and they get drafted, and it's like I, the first thing I tell them is congratulations, enjoy it. It's not now you're in. It's how do you stay in? Our average, the <laughs> right. league average, isn't that much. It's three and a half, four years. You, how how right. do you stay in? How do you become a staple in this league? What is your niche? We're fortunate enough to be able to play 10 years in this league. We surprised the average, you know, six years ago, whatever. How do you stay in? You don't want to just be in. Okay, it's cool to say, oh, I got drafted, and now you're three years later, you're playing overseas or you're in a dealer. You want to have a reason. You want to work to stay in the league. You're going to get in if you're talented enough and you're good enough, but how do you stay in? How's your talent mm-hmm. level to work harder, to stay in, to maintain, to be great? That brings me right into something that I wanted to ask you about. You and I were part of the same draft class. Um, yeah. <laughs> the the not, best draft class in NBA draft. Yeah, the, not the best. I was just going to say, not the best draft class ever. <laughs> Although we do have 
We do have several <laughs> all-stars at the top. Anytime you look back at you know careers of players and, and J.J. Redick is mentioned in the top 10 of a draft class, you should probably reevaluate that draft class. <laughs> I mean, it, it just wasn't a good draft class. Partially that was too, you know, that was the first year that high school players couldn't come yeah, out. You had to, you so had there, to do so one there wasn't So there wasn't the high school players and there wasn't also the one and done guys. All right. those guys had been cleared and gone, you know, 2005 straight to the NBA. So right. it was, partially it was that. But the, the question I have for you, you know, at the time, there was a lot of guys who I thought were going to have really long careers in the NBA. Is right. there one guy from our class that you're shocked is not still in the NBA 10 years later? Man, uh, there are so many guys in that draft. I mean, the one the one that's most shocking, and it's, it sucks because of injury, but it's Brandon Roy. Mm-hmm. I mean, people don't know how good Brandon Roy was. And, and I can't even say that because, you know, he's injured. So he played enough year yeah. and, and injuries shut him down. But, um, I mean, you got guys who – Hill and Armstrong and Patrick O'Brien. It was funny because a lot of them were bigs um, that, that right. didn't stay in. Um, one of the surprising ones is probably like uh, Jordan Farmar. I think he had a <laughs> he was one of the guys who surprised me who I thought would be in the league a long time and and make mm-hmm. a name for himself but um he's been, he's having a hell of a career overseas but that's one guy I just thought he would you know be where we are right now still playing right now that's that's definitely one of those guys yeah skill level wise athletically you right, know he was there right. and and you, certain guys you say like oh man that guy's got it enough to be in the NBA and for whatever reason right. whether it's situation or whether it's their mental makeup and I'm not knocking Jordan on his mental makeup I'm just no, saying in no, general no. right you know you, you right. just you just never know why it doesn't pan out for some guys and and part of that you mentioned the word niche part of that is guys are sometimes unwilling to accept that niche guys yeah. want to be the man like they've always been and it's like listen man there's 15 guys it's a privilege to play in this league Sometimes it's okay to be the seventh or eighth guy, and you can do that and and play twelve to fifteen years and make a lot of money and have a lot of success and be part of this amazing game and amazing experience. And they don't want to do it; they'd rather go overseas or whatever. You know, it's you never know. Yeah, so it's, it's funny. It's people it's, who just it's tough. You know, sometimes they just they're just a man. They just want to be the guy, and they've been used to it so long. And, and say mm-hmm. for for me, for instance, yeah, I didn't want to settle for being a, a backup, but I took advantage of it. My niche was he played yeah. hard. He he went yeah. out there and yeah. changed the tempo, and I I took that right. and ran with it. And right. I got the opportunity to show what else I could do. Right, right. No, I had the same mindset in Orlando. I felt like, you know, our bench group, you know, we had Gortat. It was me, Ryan Anderson. Like, we all felt like, all right, when we come in the game, we're going to change the makeup of the game. We're going to change the pace. We're going to play fast. And and you know what? We we carved out a little niche. People noticed, okay, these these guys can play. And, and, you know, five years later, you know, we're all – you know, kind of in the prime Make, of our careers yes. and having a lot of success. So, yes. um, one more serious question, then I want to hit you with a couple quick hitters. But, all right, cool. Um, you talked a little bit about in your essay with the Players Tribune uh, about fatherhood and, and your kids and yeah. Um, yeah. how that changed you. And I kind of answered a question on the podcast last week about fatherhood. And I mean, first of all, I, I find it shocking that a Villanova guy would name his son after the indoor stadium where Duke plays, but you did name your son Cameron. 
It's just weird man. to me. I don't. I didn't know that there was a Duke connection with you, but I guess I don't know. Maybe you're a fan. I just. I don't uh, know. So uh, uh, no. Well, I'm always, <laughs> listen, listen, let's let's just okay. Good one. That was a good one. That was a good one. I, I can't. I don't even have a comeback for that one. I definitely don't have a comeback for that one. I'm just gonna shut my mouth and just say next. Uh, go ahead, keep going, JJ. <laughs> no, no. So so just. I want to hear you talk about it, man. For for the listeners out there, because I I do get this question a lot. You know, how has fatherhood changed you, both as a man and an athlete? And for me, I'll just before you get into it. Like for me, I think yeah. you realize like you're not living for yourself anymore. It's it's uh, really number, number all one. about your family. Number one, number one, and and that is how. I've become a better man. I've grown up. I'm not living for. I, listen, no one worries about me when it comes to that household. They worried about my my Carter and Cameron. That's yeah. all they're worried about. They don't care about dad. It, they're like whatever. <laughs> it, and it's for me. It's just like okay, how do you? What? That's your legacy. These children right. that we leave behind right. are our legacy. Not okay. Scoring twenty thousand points and all. If you can leave a, your kid a legacy and he becomes a, such a great man maybe my son's one of my sons become the president and that'll be a great legacy for me to leave i, I guess it's just like you, you know you're you're not just out there you you're not it's not for you it, it's for them everything you do is for them you work out for them you you want to make sure that they're well taken care of you want to make sure that they have a better life that than you did growing up you want to make sure that they understand that you're going to have trials and tribulations you're going to have mess-ups. You're going to have mistakes. But how can you help them, teach them, and, and help them grow that you could tell them before they happen? You know, you could help them before. Okay, yes, right. you're going to make that mistake, right. but this is how you fix it. So you want to just right. – that's one of the things you just live off of them. You just want to make sure that they know what's going on before they know what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you, it's, it's, you want, you want I think there's sure a there's a, there's a sense like all right, you know, I don't want to be a helicopter parent, but at the same time, like you care so deeply that yeah. you can't help but uh, you know watch their every move and 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 make sure they're doing things the right way and make sure you're teaching them. There's such a responsibility on that from a personal standpoint. Uh, you know, yeah. going back to what you wrote in in the Players Tribune, you grew up and you didn't have a relationship with your father, right. Um, right. And, and it's interesting to me because so many times in life uh from a generational standpoint right we we have these these issues in our life whether it's growing up without a parent whether it's having an alcoholic parent right. or an abusive parent and right. it seems like people can take one of two paths and it's you know perpetuate the cycle or right. do the exact <laughs> right. opposite and it seems like <laughs> you're doing the exact opposite and 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 every time i see you you're with your kid you're talking about your kid i mean listen man i love it and and i think the thing is like you realize it's the greatest thing. It's the greatest ever, thing. ever, yeah. ever. I like it's just like with your son. You don't want him to fall down the stairs. Like so, you're like, listen, do not do that. Like <laughs> right. that. For we, me, we just for started. Me. We just started timeout with him a couple of weeks ago, oh, and now I'm worried. Now I'm worried. How's well, now it? I'm worried that he actually likes timeout. <laughs> so we may have to we, we may have to come up with a new a new process i don't know you gotta call it a different name you gotta call it a different <laughs> yeah. name. he probably he watches too much basketball he thinks time uh, just you're probably right a couple minutes uh, yeah, the, ki the kid was at the game last night he's like 18 months old i swear to god he knows what a pick and roll is he's so obsessed yeah. with basketball it's disturbing uh, either, either you're gonna have a coach <laughs> or you're gonna have a player one of the two one of the all right. two all right two quick hitters for you okay and then i'll, I'll let you go all right so you mentioned earlier hoops hype and I'm on hoops hype religiously yep. like most yeah. NBA players. And, and I, uh, 
I keep seeing all these quotes and comments from you and Demar and your your guys' relationship. It seems like you know, it seems like Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, uh, their relationship yeah. and stepbrothers. Like it's just, it's like an odd pairing, but at the same time, are, I mean, is that is that the media overhyping this? Or are you guys no, really that close? It's just like you know, did we just become best friends? <laughs> right. Yep. Like it's it's it's, it's kind of like that, but yeah. it's, it's genuine. It's not we're not playing it for the media. And and me and him, we we've even talked about this. We said, look, we got to kind of back it off on the, in the media because you know it's it's becoming. We don't want it to be like that because it's actually a genuine relationship. You know, even if you know it, it looks a certain way, like yeah, we. But we really play like that all the time. Right. Like last night, we're in the we're in there in the cold tub, hot tub, making jokes. You know, that's what we do every night. We're, we're we're together every night before a home game in the arena, getting ready, preparing our bodies. And it's jokes. All we do is we joke. But when we're on that court, there's no joking. I get on him. He gets on me. We mm-hmm. really we really have that mutual respect for each other on the court. And it's off the court that, you know, we're friends. We're fun. Like, we're brothers. Like, you can joke and play. But when you get on that court, I respect him. He respects me. I can get on him. He can get on me. And that, right. that's just why that's I think a- we've become such good friends. Right. That's a, that's a sign of a healthy professional relationship is, yeah. is when you hold each other accountable and you can kind of move on to the next thing. Uh, right. I'm assuming then that uh, you really want him to, to, to re-sign. There's, a, there's the assumption that he'll opt out this summer. Uh, he's, he's very underpaid right now. I, I mean, I, I would opt you, out if I'm him too. Yeah, he's underpaid. He's yeah. going to opt out. I'm, yeah, if, yeah. if he doesn't, I'm going to force him to opt out. I'll sign the papers <laughs> myself. <laughs> All right. So, all right, last question, and this is just real quick. The Six God, Drake, yeah. Yeah. your favorite yeah. Drake song. Um, he got so many hits. Oh my God, uh, I would think uh, "You and the Six is one of my favorite songs when he talks to his mom and um, he's kind of going into detail about the things he, him and his mom, has gone through, what he's going through in his life, and it's kind of one of the deeper songs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like a song that got played on the radio. It's just one of the songs where it's such a deep song that you, you kind of listen to it and you can really relate to it because of the things that he's saying and the things that he's gone through in his life. And it's just it's just one of the songs. But I, I, everything he makes, I, I, I'm a fan of, man. He's he's such a, a good guy. Like, you know, he, he texts us after game and, you know, he supports us everything we do. And, you know, we don't mind him being a global ambassador because he's, he really is Toronto. Right. No, he's he's extremely talented and and has been a great ambassador for the Toronto Raptors. All right, yeah. Kyle, I can't thank you enough for doing uh, this. I know you have a game later tonight. Uh, best of luck in this back to back, and uh, thank you so much. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me on and letting me join this great podcast. <laughs> Anytime, let me know. I'll do one in the summer. I'll do one whenever. It's just I'll do uh, whatever. All right, we'll we'll go through your summer training routine so you can. I think you told me last week you're gonna try to get even more skinny. So we'll we'll talk about that this summer. Yeah, we'll all talk right. about that this summer. All right, thanks, Kyle. All right, thanks, Jay. It's the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Make sure to check out new and archived episodes of the Vertical Podcast with Woj and the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. For in-depth conversations around the NBA, the Vertical Podcast Network is your destination for on-demand audio. All right, now it's time for this week's four-on-four. As I mentioned before, Sunday is Oscar night, and I'm a big fan of movies. Well, I I assume most people are actually big fans of movies. I, I mean, there's nothing like going to the theater or Netflixing and chilling. So we're going to talk about four Oscar predictions for this week's 4 on 4 and we're rejoined now by Spencer Hawes. 
I'm going to jump right in. Best picture. Spencer, what is your prediction for best picture? JJ, I'm going to go with the big short for best picture. Why? Well, first of all, I was a big fan of the book to begin with. So okay. I, there's I do, I do love Michael Lewis books. Okay. There's a, there's a little bit of a nostalgia factor in that. And I just, I really like the way that, that the book and the movie uh, especially broke down the financial crisis and, and really kind of explained to you, you know, you always hear, oh, the real estate bubble, that was what caused 2008. And personally, I didn't understand until I read the book and the movie reiterated it, the A to B to C to D starting on the micro level and how it all built up mm-hmm. to stock market crash, essentially. So, uh, Did you, any, by any chance, did you watch the documentary, The Inside Job? I have not seen that documentary. Okay, I've seen that a few times. If it also provides a pretty rudimentary kind of uh, explainable layman's term version of yeah. uh, of how the the financial crisis in two thousand eight happened, I would recommend that. I enjoyed The Big Short. I actually have seen every one of the Best Picture nominees for this year, except for Bridge of Spies. I did not see that. The trailer, dude. The trailer was boring. Did you watch it? I watched. I watched it the other day. It was good. That okay. Was my sleeper pick to win it. All right. So. For me, I'm going to say the best picture is going to be The Revenant. I just, I thought it was a fantastic movie. And I didn't, but I'd like I, you to, I, you I to do, explain and then I'll count. No, I do get the sense that it was possibly overhyped. I watched in the theater. I thought it was great. But when I compare it to the other nominees, I just think it was it was the most complete movie and the most well-done movie. You know, Spotlight is a favorite for a lot of people. Um, it's about the uh, scandal with uh, Roman Catholic priests and the, the abuse scandal that started in Boston and, and kind of became a worldwide epidemic. And it's about this group of reporters from the Boston Globe. And it, it's getting a lot of praise. I watched it. It was very boring. I watched Room last night, actually, which is also based on a book. I cried multiple times, but it, I didn't get the sense that it was just, it was kind of the, in you the cried. same. We, yeah. I, we I cried. I, I cried in Aladdin. Okay. So yeah, you are <laughs> I just, I just didn't get the sense that it was kind of this, this complete movie. I, so anyways, the Revenant for me is, is best picture. And as we talk about these things, you're going to see a theme of the Revenant. So, so we're going to move right along to best director. And we just talked about this, but I think we both can agree that the director from the Revenant, Alejandro, Alejandro, yes. Alejandro. will we'll win. Yeah, will win I his that's, second. That's a lock. I think it's a lock too, and and it would be back to back for him. He won last year for for Birdman. Get that man a raise. I agree. Okay, uh, we're gonna go best supporting actor. You and I have the same one on this too, and I think there's really a strong case for all of these actors to win. But my pick is Tom Hardy in The Revenant, and, and I'm right there with you. I think he was one of the most compelling villains. Uh, mm-hmm. I've seen in cinema in a while, and for that reason, he's my choice. I think Sly's getting all the all mm-hmm. the critical acclaim. I think he's the favorite, but I'm I'm going with the upset Tom Hardy. Yeah, Christian Bale was fantastic in The Big Short. Yeah. I mean, when is, what is he not fantastic in? You, you know, I, I've read also that Mark Rylance has also got a a pretty good shot in Bridge of Spies to kind of pull an upset and get Best Supporting Actor. But I'm the reason for me, Tom Hardy. First of all, he's my favorite actor, so there is a little bit of uh, bias. But when I watched The Revenant, I didn't know you're a as, Tom Hardy guy like that. Oh, I love Great him. Great to hear. I love he's him. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. So, but when I watched The Revenant, Leo was obviously great, but to me, Tom Hardy stole the show. 
I, I agree completely, and I've argued with people about that. And it was, like I said, it, the villain he portrayed, mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen one like it in a while. Yeah. Maybe since Bane. <laughs> <laughs> I love Tom Hardy. Okay, all right. So best best actor. Before, okay, before I say this, I haven't seen a couple of these movies uh, which the nominees are, are from. So I, I didn't see Trumbo. I didn't see Trumbo either. Eddie Redmayne, fantastic actor. Um, I think he won last year too for for uh, his portrayal of uh, Stephen, Stephen Hawking. Hawking. Yeah, Michael Fassbender, fantastic actor. I'm going to pick Leo as my best actor. It seems like it seems like that's going to be the choice. I don't know that that's necessarily a bold prediction, but I would say his portrayal of Hugh Glass is not my favorite Leo role he's ever had i there's so many more memorable characters I, I don't, that he's that he's played and it, it it it's it's weird to me that he's probably going to win for this it's almost like it w- i mean it, it will end up being a lifetime achievement award to a certain mm-hmm. extent i do agree with you there but at the same time more memorable roles but i don't know of any he's had that were probably as demanding as that one sure and you got to give it to i mean yeah, I mean, you read, you read, and he literally did sleep in a, in a carcass of a horse, and he ate raw bison liver. He sacrificed um, for this one. Yeah, I don't think he was actually mauled by a bear. I think that was actually that CGI. Yeah, I don't think that was real. Yeah. It might have been. I don't. I was going to give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. But the rest of his portrayal in that movie was uh, was fantastic. All right, so that's that's this week's four on four. I may or may not talk about this next week after it happens. Maybe if there's a big upset, we'll discuss it. But, but I'm pretty sure in my picks, um, I think the Revenant's going to have a big night. And I think if there are upsets, I agree with you. The Big Short is the one where I could see them taking home multiple Oscars. All right, Spencer, thank you again for joining us. I really appreciate you giving us the time twice this week. Twice. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. You can tweet me at J.J. Reddick for questions and comments. We'd also like to take a second to thank our sponsor, SeatGeek. We'll talk to you next week. Later. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. Find your voice.